Well, everybody, this is Matt Durr. Today's episode is Braving the Storm with Matt Durr. Matt is an award-winning journalist with a story of how his work has put him in the most incredible and also the most dangerous positions in his life. We talk about what it takes to get through the difficult days and what it takes to reckon with the ups and downs of following his dream. Matt, welcome. Drew, Sean, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited for this. That that introduction, it's, uh, can I just get you to like do that everywhere I go when I walk in a room? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll record it. I will have it set up. I'll put like whatever music you want behind it. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme music. Let's go. <laughs> yes, dude. Yes, I always wanted to be a hype man. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh my God, and you could do it. That's what I'm saying, like we could be good hype men. No, Matt, you don't understand. We have some ideas going on um, <laughs> for some fun stuff we're gonna do eventually once we're stop being lazy. So um, yeah. Matt, the story is about you. How are you today, man? What's your day been like? Oh, I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, it's been a, kind of a hectic day, you know, uh, produced four stories and had a training seminar and followed up on some emails with some readers and pretty pretty busy day at work and then the my kids it was their last day of school so there's been some excitement around the house today too where do you so, get the energy man where do you get the energy to, to knock that all out in a day and then just like you know you, you brush the day off you go home you reset at home and then you, you do the dad thing the family thing the social life thing where do you get that energy uh, I, I think it's just I, I've fallen into the routine of it. You know, I I, I know every day I'm, I'm going to start my day at this day. And uh, when I'm done with work at four or five o'clock, I've got the time I need to to switch into dad mode. And then it's that's the, you know, the fun part of the day. Right. That's when I get to, uh, you know, have conversations with my family and find out what they did to the day, make dinner and, and just do that stuff. And that's that doesn't take any energy at all. Unless it's the weekends and I'm, I'm literally chasing them. That takes energy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with that type of balance, I guess, in your schedule, is it easy? Is it easy to make that transition when you come home? Or are there the late nights and the, you know, I'm up till midnight trying to knock something out and dad can't hang out tonight or anything like that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely, um, you know, part of our being a journalist is, you know, at times you have to just, you, you have to say like, uh, I'm sorry, kids, or I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I have to cancel date night. Something major has happened. It's all hands on deck. We've we've got to go, and you know we'll be in touch uh, when I can come up from air, for air. But you know, thankfully, the the position I'm in now, uh, not nearly as stressful, not nearly as um, on call every minute every minute of every day, but very much uh, you know manageable, and I'm I'm able to to maintain a, a healthy home life and a healthy work life gotcha and is that because i mean when we talked in the pre-meeting you said that you work with the team does uh you know dispersing that load with the team help you get you know every everybody get through the day and not be too overburdened with one thing or the other yeah definitely having you know team members around um and, and I have fantastic colleagues. I love the people I work with. And I have great uh, editors and management that company-wide do a great job of making sure if you, if you have a family or you have things that uh, you need to step away for a couple hours to attend to, you know, we know you're going to make the time back up. 
and you're able to do that. And it's, I, I cannot say enough good things about uh, that part of my, my job. It's fantastic the way they let us uh, organize our schedules as we need. Yeah, that's pretty big, man, because, you know, a lot of people don't see that, um, you know, they see the article that comes out or they see somebody, you know, on television being the centerpiece of the story, but they really don't see the teamwork that goes into bringing it all together and all the effort that goes in from the entire team, right? Yeah, especially when you're, um, I mean, there's oftentimes where the, the work that comes along with it, the photography or the videography is more important to the, to the story than the actual words themselves, like off the, a natural disaster. You can describe the scene, but when you can actually see the wreckage of when a tornado comes through town and destroys entire blocks, I, I, to me, that's far more important of telling the story because you can actually understand what these people went through. And obviously the words absolutely help and tie it together. Uh, but having a strong team is is so critical, and, and I'm thankful to work with, you know, incredible photographers and videographers, and we have great social media teams, and it's I, I can't say enough good things about my colleagues. How do you, you know, I, I mean, you've covered a lot of things. I mean, you know, you've covered everything from college sports, professional sports, everything at the state and local level up there in Michigan. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've covered a lot of different things. How do you... You know, if you've covered something um, that was like emotional or something like that, how how do you get through writing that and not being like super emotionally connected to it and being able to write a solid piece and just kind of be able to step back from that after that's done? So that's that's a really hard part of the job. And it takes um, I don't want to say a special person, but it takes a certain type of mentality to be able to process something like that, be able to, to set the emotions aside just for a little bit. That's what I do. I, I try to, you know, empathize or if it's, you know, sympathy, like it's something I can full on relate to. I try to, to understand that going in, but when it's time to do the job, I, I, I set that aside. I don't knock it away. I just set it aside for a little bit and get to the heart of, of the story so that I can tell it properly. And then after the fact, if there's my own personal feeling to it or, you know, emotion, if it strikes me, especially when you deal with like children, something happens to children and stuff, you, you have to just kind of set it aside until you, you know, like, okay, now I can decompress and think about it. And sometimes it is, it is tough and it's emotional and you have to, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're still keeping your cool uh, in the moment and saving that emotion for when it's, you know, you're by yourself or, or you're around colleagues or someone you can talk to, to, to express that. Have, have you ever had a story or a case that's like set you back before, like to where it's like, you've had to like take time and, and like, you know, either regather yourself or take a day off or like, have, have has anything like that ever happened in that experience? I, I've never had to take time off. Um, mm -hmm. but I've, I very early on when I started with, uh, the Ann Arbor news where I'm at now, um, there was a fatal car accident on one of our highways and it was in the town that I live in. Um, and they didn't have somebody to send to the, the town or, you know, that could make the drive out there. And they asked me if I would cover it. And I did. And, you know, I spoke with the families, um, you know, of both of the, the guys that died. 
Um, I spoke with a mom of, or one of the family members of a young woman who was in the car. Like it, it, it was hard to do that. And then they had a memorial service at the high school where, you know, you had dozens, probably hundreds of students and younger people there and their families uh, all, you know, grieving. You're, you were watching a town grieve and it happened to be the town that, you know, my wife is from and, uh, you know, where my kids go to school and, you know, where I spent a lot of time and it's, uh, it's a small rural town. So this sort of thing doesn't happen very often. So that really, you know, pulls at your heartstrings. Um, and it took, I didn't, like I said, I didn't take a day off, but I remember editing like a video together that night and having to pause to take a moment. And like, I need to put this away for a, a minute and let my emotions happen and then get back to work. Is there anything that you do specifically for decompression? Me and Drew talk about this a lot. You know, yeah. you go through something hard and then you got to, you know, you have that, that thing you like to do, be it golf, watching the ball game, just getting away, just taking some time away. Is there anything that is specific to you? Hey, this, you know, Matt Durr does this decompress and, and just give me about 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it used to be a ride home from work. I, I work from home now. So I live about 45 minutes to an hour from the office. So that was usually my time to throw on a podcast and just try to escape. Um, now that it's at home, uh, you know, earlier I joked about Stone Cold Steve Austin's music. I love pro wrestling. Uh, so I'll throw on an old wrestling match and something, you know, it just oh. like is mindless to me and lets me relax and I can get lost in that world for, you know, a little bit. And then, then dad's good to go and he can, put the, the work part aside and, and be at home. Oh yeah. I do the same thing except my decompress. I just beat my kids. That's just, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, you saw his kids, dude. They're coming after him, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. The, yeah. I stand no chance. Um, yeah. So like, what era, and I, I don't want to detract from the point that like you do have those methods of decompression, but out of personal curiosity, what era of wrestling would be your favorite? Because we have a lot of wrestling, like wrestlers, wrestling fans in our uh, universe. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. In our, in our, in our circle, we do a lot of stuff with movement radio. Shout out to you guys. Uh, a lot of you know they're they're wrestlers or professional wrestlers. They they get into oh, the excellent. The so that yeah, they're if, if one of them's not watching, a couple of them are watching. Uh, shout out to you guys. I know you, I know you got a, an eye on us, but yeah, we we've talked to wrestlers on several occasions. Awesome. It's yeah. I mean I love I love indie wrestling too. To answer your question, Drew, I would say late eighties, early nineties. That's where you've got Macho Man at his peak, Ric Flair and Steamboat are doing their thing in the NWA. Bret Hart's come along. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels is on the rise. There's, you know, my favorites of all time. That's kind of, they're all in that era. And that's, that's what I go to. I've, I've been watching old Saturday night's main events recently from like 1990 when Hogan and the ultimate warrior are fighting. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Is it like time travel, man? Isn't it like time travel? Like you just feel like a kid again, you know, like you're like you're nine again or whatever, watching yeah. Hulk Hogan come out. I, watching it the first time and being heartbroken when Hogan didn't didn't beat the Ultimate Warrior. Just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I remember, dude, it was like 86 or 87. It was one of my first memories of driving into Tacoma, Washington at, to the Tacoma Dome for uh, mm -hmm. WrestleMania. 
and like just seeing it up front and it was just it was life-changing right that that first that first time and your first ball game when you're a kid that first sporting yeah. event memory is so powerful the, the first time you walk up and you see the lights and you're like there it is it's Dude, Jake the snake walked by us, you know, with his like, you know, with his python, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never man. Seen anything like this? Yep. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible culture. I yeah, it's it's the weirdest and uh, most aggravating like nerd fandom, you know, uh, group that I'm involved with. It, but I love it. I can't, I can't put it away. Thirty-seven years old, I still watch it. You know, so. Hey, man, you know, we were talking on another episode. I'm not trying to get off track here, but, you know, I took my nephew to his first, like, wrestling thing, and it was a local wrestling event. And, uh, you know, we come from a a boxing family down here, and and he thought it was a boxing match, and this guy just kicks this dude right in the mouth, right off the bat. And my my nephew was young then, and he was like, whoa, you can't do that. And the wrestler heard him. The wrestler looked out into the crowd and looked at my nephew and was like, oh, I can't? Jumps over the ropes, lands on the guy, like, it was perfect. I was I was dying. My nephew was just appalled. He was like, "Yeah, this yeah. is not what." <laughs> yep. I took my daughter, and you know, one of the she loved Charlotte Flair, and one of the the bad girls did something, and she just said, "You should be ashamed of yourself." And like in my heart, I'm like, "Oh, that's a dad win. I've got her hooked on it. I'm so happy." Yes. That embarrassingly, that reminds me of when I was like 18 or 19 and I went to Disney world with my friends. And then we went to what's that, the place where you go watch the Knights fight uh, medieval times. Oh yeah. And we went there and just to see my buddy get so into it, eventually he forgot they were characters and he was screaming at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, dude, this is amazing. This is the coolest. <laughs> right. Um, so let's talk about you. You grew up in Michigan, yeah. Like you're, mm-hmm. so you're you're from there. What what's the thing that like sparks? Like you're like I'm going to report the world. I'm going to observe and report. What drove? Where'd you? Where it went? And how did you find it? So, I I wanted to become a sports reporter, and I knew I wanted to do that probably seventh or eighth grade. Um, you know, sports were, were my life at the time. And uh, my family wasn't, wasn't able to afford to go to a lot of the games and stuff like that. And I thought, well, what better way to go to the games than to be the guy that, you know, writes about the team. And then when I learned, oh, you get to go uh, into the locker room and you get to talk to the guys and they're required to answer questions and stuff like that. It was like, this sounds like the greatest, greatest job ever. So um, through high school, uh, you know, I worked at the, the high school newspaper, um, side story to that, Sean, you were probably the first person I ever interviewed, um, for a news article when I wrote about the rugby team at high school, which I so, almost got murdered. Like <laughs> why, what, what did all, they do to get an article? Who did they, you know, what did they stick in the hallway? What senior prank was it? Why no, they uh they actually won a state championship so <laughs> it was kind of like oh we have to write about these guys and i just happen to be buddies with all of them so uh i went down there and, and rooker was talking about how they're i still remember that you were going to destroy all these other teams and 
you know, we're out here to, do, to win more championships. <laughs> and I printed it because I didn't know any better. So, <laughs> dude, <clears throat> I'll never forget. Hey, Aunt Cheryl. Uh, yeah, hey, Aunt Cheryl. Yeah, uh, I'll never forget, you know, when your buddy's a journalist um, or a sports writer in the high school paper, and, and, and that's his goal, you have to really be careful uh, with the quotes that you have. And uh, one, <laughs> when he was asking me about rugby, uh, I said, well, yeah, rugby is better than football because, you know, we're men and we took the pads off. And, you know, Matt's like, you know, and, and then. You know, right quote, the Sean. I like that, dude. That's pretty deep, pretty solid, man. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was, you know, I'm in class. I'm like, I really hope he doesn't put that in the paper. <laughs> and the next thing you know, dude, all my football buddies are like, what the hell, Rook? And I'm like, <laughs> I was I was misquoted. I was misquoted. <laughs> yeah. That so my first time. story you're saying was, was false. Oh, no, you, you were right. I was I, I was trying to save my life. <laughs> I know. He didn't Matt, I didn't I, have a neck. Yeah. What was I supposed to do? I was gonna throw you <laughs> the bus instead of me. He was the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So yeah, uh, to go back, I I I did it through high school, and then uh, for some reason, I got it in my head that there were too many former athletes getting into the industry, so I was I didn't want to do that anymore, um, which was just dumb. So uh, I pursued a, a history degree for a little bit, and then after a year and a half, two years of that, I uh, I thought oh, let me let me take a journalism class just to see like if if it's what I remembered it, and I took one semester. Uh, immediately sign up for the second one. And in the second semester, I, I wrote something for class. The teacher said, Hey, you should take this down to the, to the newspaper. And I did. And they were like, they asked me to, to come to a meeting. And that just kind of got me going into it. And I was, was pretty hooked on it from there. Uh, and, and part of that was because the advisor to the newspaper was, is a man named Keith Gave, who covered the uh, Detroit Red Wings for 10 years, right up through their, their back-to-back championship uh, years in 97 and 98, which was right around the time I got real interested in sports reporting. I was reading his stuff, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old. So then I find out this guy's the teacher at the newspaper at the college I'm going to, I should probably get to know this guy. And, you know, he yeah. came and spoke to a class and I told him, you know, my dream. And he said, you know, great, great. You know, I'll see you down at the next meetings. And, and he welcomed me in for the, the, the rest of the year. And I, <laughs> I remember to this day, I told him, well, you know, I want to be a sports reporter. Uh, Cause he had given me some assignment about something I had no interest in. He, I said, you know, I want to be a sports reporter. And he goes, that's great. Go learn how to report the news. And I, I realized then that he was serious about like developing me and, and using me like, that's great. I understand that's what you want to do, but I want to make sure you can do the job that I need you to do before I let you do that. You and need it, to know how to tell a story, right? Like the way it is beginning, middle, end. And, and how to go out and gather information on my own. Yeah. Um, you know, no disrespect to uh, sports reporters. Um, you don't have to go dig up what happened in the game because you get to watch it. Or, you know, you can write the story of what happened just from watching the game. His point was sometimes you have to go out and you have to know the story you're after and go get the information. Oh, and that it. stuck with me. That's a veteran move. That's like 
when you're in the military and you got that E7 around 4 p.m. when the first sergeant says we're staying until 6 and he says, fuck it, I'm going to play poker. And he just throws deuces and walks out the door and you're like, wow, you can do that? That's like that <laughs> same energy. Uh, well, funny I mean, enough, he is ex-military too. So, hmm. say there you go, man. There you go. It, all, it all goes together. You know, now, Matt, you know, you're a super, you're, you're a super humble guy. And I know that, you, you know, when we talk about all your accolades, you're kind of one of those guys, you're like, hey, I just love my job. And this is this is why I do it. And we'll get into that as well, because I, I love the quote that you had about why you do journalism. But, you know, um, what's big about you, you know, winning the awards for the Michigan Press Association, the Michigan Community College Press Association, things like that. And you've won a lot of different awards and you can talk about that if, if you want. <clears throat> but what always hits with me is you start, you, you had a passion, you started going into history, nothing wrong with us history people. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you come back to something you love. It immediately catches fire and it just, you just take off, man. And, and it just shows that when you really do something you love, it doesn't matter if there's money in it or not. Um, you know, you just be, start becoming a natural master of your craft is that kind of how you felt about it? Not, not at all. <laughs> not, not a master. Because nope. I, I don't. Nope, nope. Sean, you're way off. Baby. Actually, I've no. never heard you be more wrong in my life. Come to think of it, oh my God. <laughs> you moment. are so wrong. <laughs> I, I don't. I look. I, I am far from my master of my craft. I'm far from being a a fully polished journalist because I feel like we're always always supposed to be learning, right? Hmm. So. But when, when I got into it and I did, I did well at the, the college, you know, I was the editor of a newspaper. We won, uh, uh, you know, several awards, Michigan Press Association, things like that. We finished third in the nation for community college newspapers uh, the year I was editor. Like, it's stuff to be proud of, but that's not, to me, that's, that doesn't mean anything more than um, I did a really good job telling a story that needed to be told. So it, it, it doesn't, I don't feel it makes a, a master of your craft unless you're able to tell the next story just as well or, or on a level that makes it something that people learn something from or feel something for it, it's almost like a revolutionizes say that again you think the master is the one who revolutionizes the art uh or... that's, that that's a fair way to look at it i I, it's, I still don't know if there's a master of journalism though well, I mean, what I meant by that, I mean, you know, thanks for busting my balls. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I love it. Um, but what I meant by that is when you, when you just have a natural passion for something, okay. you'll, be, you'll, you'll just start to be successful in it because it's something you love and the energy just naturally flows to it. And that was, that goes into the quote that, you know, that we have you uh, saying the other night in our meeting. And you said, you know, you became a journalist because you fell in love with telling a story. Yeah. And, and doing it right. Yeah. I, I love, I love the idea of telling somebody's story or, or something's story or a city's story, because I, I feel I feel drawn to writing, but I'm not creative enough to make up my own world, right? So this is a real world that I get to observe. And, you know, in my community, I get to tell the stories about what, what is happening there. You know, there's, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, but there's a, a quote that journalists are the first authors of history because they're the ones documenting everything. 
So to be able to tell that story, that's, that is a true story. And every day I have a chance to tell another story about what's going on in the world around me. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with you, with you saying that, I mean, that, that brings up a really good point because, you know, it's the journalists that, that are documenting the history from day to day. Right. I mean, someone's, someone is putting that into print. That's something that we can trace back. And, you know, as, as you have now, how long has your career been in journalism altogether? Uh, Um, I'm coming up on 14 years. No, I'm sorry. 13 years, 13 years. Okay. So, I mean, you, you know, you're 13 years in and how has, has journalism changed at all or the attitude towards journalists changed through that 13 years that you've kind of, that you've seen along your journey as what you do? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's, there's been a shift in the last few years. There's a lot more anger and uh, people uh, expressing their, your, their, their displeasure with, with the industry. Um, it's, I, I, it drives me nuts when the media gets lumped all together because your local newspaper, your local TV news station is not the same as CNN. So when, when the local folks get pulled into that, that, that hurts. Um, but, you know, we have thick skin. You learn really early on. People are going to be mad at you no matter what. Uh, every, everything, not everything, but uh, if you're writing anything in a, in a political realm, someone's not going to be happy. You can be writing about the business community. And if you don't represent a business the way they think they should be represented, they could be upset. Or if a park, a, a millage, uh, passes and they're supposed to do something with the money at the park and, and a resident isn't happy with how they're using the park's money and they just want to take it out on you. We're, we're, we're okay with that. Like we understand that. Um, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's obviously shifted in the last few years, but I think it's mostly the extremes on, on whatever topic you're talking about are the ones that are more angry about it. I still think, you know, the majority of everyday people uh, keep a level head and, you know, don't go too far with, with their critique or, you know, uh, not being happy about something. And I find that most people, if you respond to them and approach it in a professional manner and just explain the situation and ask more about how, why they're feeling the way they are, they'll have a conversation with you. Is that a big thing then for you, the, the professionalism of being a journalist, not taking things personal and just literally approaching it from that professional view? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I, I, for me, it's the only way I, I think I could do it is if, if you've got a problem with something I wrote, let's talk about it. You know, I'll explain my feelings. You may not agree with it. Um, but you know, I can explain why I thought it was important. It, you know, it's, it's, I can prove it's factual. And if, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to retract it if you're just because you're not happy or um, you think it's something that makes you look bad. Yeah, it's, and and as long as you approach it in a, a an honest, direct way, I don't feel that they had you know anyone has a reason to um, take it beyond just a disagreement. With with the heavy politicizing of the blanket term media, um, I mean, have you found it that you have to be a little bit braver to go to work in some situations than you used to have to like do you have to find yourself digging a little deeper to do things because like there's no like you you were present last 
year when Michigan won the during the the breach in their capital. Yeah, and I mean there. So there's got to like at this point, has there been any more like okay, it's a little more dangerous to go out and do this now? I think so. There's a couple ways I can answer that. I have felt more at risk at a job when I worked in a small town newspaper where I covered cops and courts. And I was literally writing about, you know, people going to prison and things like that. And their family didn't like that. I felt more like I've got to be uber aware of where I'm going, what I'm doing, you know, where uh, I am by myself at night, that sort of thing. Um, Far more than I did with what happened in Lansing. Um, I, yeah, when that incident happened, I was there covering the, the anti or the um, impeach Whitmer rally that was happening that day. Um, But there were people walking around with their weapons, but Michigan is an open carry state. So I didn't feel unsafe until after everything ended and I saw what happened inside. I, when the rally ended, I tried to go inside because I figured I'd see what was going on. Uh, so many people were going in. I couldn't. So I turned around and went back to our, the office to work on my story. And it was shortly after that, you know, we started to see images and tweets and, and videos of, of what happened in there. So I didn't I didn't feel unsafe until I saw what happened. And I realized I might have been in a little more danger than than maybe I thought I was. But I've I, I haven't felt unsafe at any any like political event or anything like that uh, in a, ever that I can think of. Yeah, you typically, I mean, like, even going to, like, controversial rallies, like, tend to be, like, even force perspective, you know, you, you you get those very dramatic angles, but when you go to them, you find out that a lot of people really are coming together, and, like, a lot of people are just having conversations, and you do find out that, like, a lot of people really do tend to be a little more purple than you could, than they, you may think, you know, a little more in the middle uh, then they may come off sometimes if you sit down and talk to them one on one. Yeah, and, and and just to follow up on that, I find too like as long as you're respectful and again being professional, I introduce myself, say who I'm with, what I'm there for, what I'm what I'm working on, and just say, hey, can I ask you a couple of questions? And you know, let them kind of go if they're willing to talk. And if not, and they don't like me or they they hate any the idea of journalism that's that's fine too you know it's hey no problem have a great day and i'll be on on my way so i feel as long as you approach people you know calmly and and politely even if they're mad for what you know whatever they're there for they're they're not going to take it out on you and whatever whatever the emotional reaction to whatever you're writing about um you know, with, with the way thing, you know, how emotional people can be nowadays about anything. It's, it seems like they, you know, nobody can keep their cool. They can, nobody can just read an article and say, yeah, I didn't really agree with that. It's, you know, it seems like there's, and I'm not saying everybody is an attack, but it's, it's more prevalent now with, with very boisterous opinions right back at you. Does that make your, your honest work as a journalist to just, you know, to really just report the facts and, you know, I guess in a way with those, with either whatever, restore the faith of, Hey, we're here, we're here to report facts and, and to put out factual, you know, information here to where, you know, everyone can kind of come back together in the middle and just start, start reading the paper again. And it's just, it's the paper, man. 
that's yeah, that's such a that's a really hard question to to have a, a great answer for. Um, but I will say the mission has from the early part of my career before any any sort of change in media, the mission everywhere I've ever been has always been, look, you, you report the facts, you report, you talk to if there's a if it's a controversial opinion, you talk to as many uh, people as you can on on either side of the issue or on all sides of the issue, as long as they're credible, you find credible sources. People that are working directly on a project, people that are on city council, not not just some. Um, not one Tommy who person. was walking by picking lint out of his right. belly button. Right, but if <laughs> Tommy's at the city council, <laughs> yeah, but if Tommy's at the city council meeting, he stands up and I think it. You know, he says, "I think it's crap what you're doing with the roads budget." Well then, yeah, I want to talk to Tommy and yeah. get his side of it too, so I can I can present all the different angles, and that's always been the mission. And that's that's you know I I have never seen a conversation or heard a conversation or been asked to write something or not write something because it it made one side look bad and not the other. It it has always been report the truth, report the facts of the information you have. Um, if, if there's a dispute, you make every, every chance you can to take an opportunity to reach out to whomever is uh, possibly going to look bad in the situation or might want to respond to, um, you know, someone else's quote. You do, you do all that stuff, no matter what story you're working on. That's cool. And that's one of the, the, oh. No, go ahead, Matt. Or, uh, that's the kind of where I wanted to switch to was like the, we're talking about like the ethical reporting, um, but I wanted to kind of go to a stylistic tone for a minute to talk about intelligently reading articles because when, as a journalist, you have a tone that you write in. You have mm -hmm. a way that you report everything and it's, it's stamped to you. And, and as a reader, a consumer of, anybody that's reading a media project you as a writer know that the second that an opinion is input into an article it's immediately suspect anyways mm -hmm. so the emission of opinion in an article and in, re in remaining neutral on facts is literally like it seems like the key pillar to ethical reporting is that kind of am i right am I, yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely like, it's, okay. what what i think doesn't matter at all and right. if I start to feel like I'm putting something that I think into a story, I need to, to pass that assignment on to somebody else or take a step back and go, wait, what am I doing here? This isn't, oh, let me re, you know, regather my notes, look at my sources. What am I missing here? Who do I need to talk to to balance this out? Or you know, if, if this is what it, if it looks like it's shaped, shifted to one side predominantly and I haven't reached out to another uh, I haven't reached out to the property owner who wants to to build his luxury condo. I got to get that guy's voice in there, or I got to get his lawyer, or I've got to be able to say I tried to reach this guy five times, and he didn't want to comment. Now I can I can go back to the story, and if it seems like it's slanted one side, it's it's because he didn't want to give his side, and not well. Matt Matt supports this project, so let's right. <laughs> make sure that it gets you know read in a positive light. So as a writer, did it take you a while to figure out how to omit your own personal voice and opinions from your work? Um, no, I was, I was thankful. Keith was, was pretty, um, 
Oh yeah, strict. Fair. He was pretty strict in our newsroom, and and I wasn't in charge when I got start when I started. Obviously, so the people yeah. that were were really good about that. Um, what it took me a while to learn like certain phrases or um, crutches in my writing that that would lead to an opinion. Um, yeah. Or or words that you can use that kind of you know even though you think you're just flowing in a natural conversation, um, it it kind of makes it seem like you're opinionated um yeah you know the superbly eloquent candidate you know blah blah blah. like no the candidate said this you know you can't you can't try to fancify up the way they talk or or the language um if it's not necessary the tone's got to fit the story i mean right like it's no that's good man so like it, it I was going to say, I wanted to go back to that because when you were talking about Keith and the instructor and he said, learn how to tell a story, you know, learn how to report first. Like that's, that's when you kind of like, when you were like, okay, this is how you figure, like you knew that this guy was trying to find real reporters, real writers and weed out those people that weren't going to do that. Yeah. Um, You could have taken it personally. Um, We talked about that in the pre-meeting when he said, when you said, I want to go do sports, and he said, go learn how to be a reporter, you could have taken it personally and as a dig, and it could have cut you down. And I know a lot of people that it would have. But instead, you took it as a, per- as a challenge, as like, this is the standard. Learn how to report first. You just got it. To where I know, like me, I would have been like, I'm going to overthink this. I'd have been like, what the hell did he mean by that? Now, hold on a minute. What did I do? Like, what did I do to piss this guy off? Right, right. So, like, um... <laughs> you're that's amazing that you can see that that's like such an inc- how old were you at the time roughly uh i'd have been 24 24 25 ish pretty good man that's pretty mature that's <laughs> i just yeah. figured like i figured a guy like that isn't going to waste time by you know saying okay that's great but i need you to go learn how to do this like if, if he was like oh you want to be a sports reporter well great on on the way i saw plenty of people that came in and wanted to write uh entertainment or you know they wanted to write their own column on fashion he said you know same thing basically they didn't come back um but that was after i had already kind of real i was already on the staff and but when he said it to me it was just like man this guy wouldn't tell me to do that if he didn't think um you know i had a chance because if i come back with a story he's gonna read it like he's gonna he has to take a look at it he told me to go get a story i went and got one He's going to have to look at it and then he'll be able to tell me like, yeah, I think you've got what it takes. Come back in the fall. And luckily for me, that's, that's what happened. And there's a a bit of intensity there. I mean, it, it, you know, of let, you know, like you said, let's not waste time. Do you, do you take that into writing your articles or, or if you want to say attacking a story, you know, spearheading, you know, into, into some type of story, are you that kind of guy? It's like, Hey, there's no time. You know, we're not wasting time here. We're trimming the fat. We're getting right into it. Rock and roll. No, I, um, thankfully the, one of the, the, um, things that was instilled in me very early on is you make sure you write the story for the way it needs to be written. You don't, you don't write with a length in mind. You don't write with a, a specific, this is how many, um, paragraphs mm. I'm going to have. Not, you write the story for what it's worth. And then your editor will say, well, we've only got this much space or we can't, um, we can't write 3,500 words on this, this meeting. We need to, we need to trim this down quite a bit. Um, 
so no, I don't jump in like, let's go, go, go. It's, it's that kind of the opposite of like, let's make sure we've got the information we need to tell the story the way it needs to be told before we just start coming up with a narrative and coming up with, you know, how we're going to write the story and how, you know, we're going to weave all the information in and out. That dude, that's, you know, that it, it's, it's awesome to get insight into this because it, it really shows that, you know, somebody who really appreciate, you know, is, is an appreciation of what they do. You know, it's not cookie cutter journalism. It's not just boom, 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 boom. Like every story is its, is its own unique, uh, I, I guess, you know, art piece, you know, you really, you really have to take time with it. You really have to represent it correctly. You know what I mean? The, whatever that story may be. And it's really refreshing to see and to hear that, you know, all of the things that, that, you know, people may think of, it's just do this to get this type of reaction. Um, you know, you're, you're saying, no, that's not how it is. You literally have to go from, you know, you have to go through the fine tooth comb and really represent what's being told well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, th there are definitely some types of stories and some things, honestly, the, the role I'm in now is, a, is a little more of let's get the information out there when it, cause I I'm picking up things that, that are, are ground, um, are, are daily, you know, boots on the ground reporters aren't able to pick up. So it might be a quick hitter, but, um, you know, something short and sweet and doesn't need a lot of detail. But when, you know, when we have someone who's at a, a an important city council meeting, um, that person is going to make sure they're going through that meeting start to finish and, and pulling every bit of information they think is, is relevant um, to, to craft a story. And it, it's not, um, you know, whatever they say about this, we already know where we're going to go with it. Like we have to, we gather the information and then we start to pull, okay, well, what's the most important bit? What do we think our readers are, are most interested in or what do they need to know more than anything else that came out of this? Um, and that's, that's where it does kind of fall on our opinion, what we think is the most important, but, um, you know, when you're, you're in a community every day reporting on it, you get a pretty good feel for what people, uh, want to read and the information they want to know and what they're, you know, they're not nearly as interested in. I was going to say, there's gotta be like regionally, like these dudes over here, they love to hunt, but those dudes over there, they love to fish. They like cars down there. Um, mm -hmm. Can I, I want to take a, a short shift, or like a quick shift, because um, sure. from the technical aspect of writing for a moment, because the last few episodes we've interviewed people, um, a common theme that I'm noticing are people that we're talking to are people that have really enjoyed the career that they're in. And one thing that we really try to impress here is attempting to find your strengths, the things that you enjoy and figure out how to turn them into your work. That way you can find a better quality of life and to have, you know, one way to like, you know, to help fighting depression is like enjoying your job and finding that type of job that can provide you the life that you want to have, whether it's, you know, just getting, you know, having this little bit here so I can go do all this or having all mm -hmm. this stuff so I can look like this. It doesn't matter as long as whatever your job you're doing, you get some joy out of it. I've worked jobs I've hated, like for yeah. years, for years and just put up with it. And I don't, I don't wish that on anybody because for me, that's torture. So for you, 
you're in a job that you feel like you're probably born for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if it, Sean might have the, uh, the book from back in the day, but if you look at it in my senior yearbook or the senior guide of, you know, whatever they ask, what you're going to be doing for your 20th, uh, at the 20 year anniversary. And I said, I'm going to be a sports reporter that's covered every major sporting event. I'm going to make this much money way off on the money, way off on the money, <laughs> but I've covered major sporting events. I've covered the president of the United States, like on multiple times, multiple occasions, like 18 year old me would be thrilled knowing the things I've got to do. And I, I try to remember that, you know, uh, when, the, when there are those tough days and the days where I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, I, I don't want to write, I don't want to go to a planning commission meeting for four and a half hours. Like no one wants to sit through that. But if I sit through that and I tell, I do good work there, then I get to go to the next job where I get to go cover the president of the United States. So there's, there's always a reason to, to be covering these things because it makes you better at your craft too. And, and I just, I love telling people's stories. And, and like I said, telling the stories of the, the community I'm in. So the fact that I get to do it and I know it's something I want to do for a long time. It's just like, it's awesome when I sit down and think about it. Is there a, is there a certain topic or event like you, you're talking about covering the president of the United States or covering some of the state capital or, or things like that or, or, professional sports is there something that that you enjoy more like with covering that than something I mean is there like hey if I could cover anything I would want to cover what's going on at you know obviously at the White House and, and things are going on or are you like hey man I you know I'd love to go to a ball game and just cover the ball game I mean is there is there a certain thing that really speaks to Matt Durr as a journalist um, I mean, my, my, my dream is to cover a major league baseball team, uh, at least for one season. Uh, I'm, I'm no longer, I haven't been a sports reporter in gosh, almost a decade now. Um, I did it for a couple seasons and I loved, I loved everything I wanted being able to go to the games and experience the, the crowd. And you learned it, you learn real quick. You have to take your fandom out of it, but that's okay. Cause I, I, still get to be at the event and I get to be, you know, part of, of telling the story of what happened at that game. Um, so yeah, the dream is still to, to one day cover um, a major league baseball team team for a season or two. Um, but I, I've been fortunate that I've covered so many different things. I can, I get excited about a lot of different topics. Um, I, I used to get real excited when I was covering business, real estate, something I didn't want to do. And my boss was like, I think you, I think you have a knack for it. Uh, I want you to do it. And then I got super excited. And like, I was breaking news stories about uh, Google, you know, uh, investing in a new campus in Ann Arbor that no, like the Detroit free press and other major store uh, newspapers hadn't broke yet. And that gave me such a rush of like, Hey man, I found something like on my own, like I, maybe I can do this. And at, you know, in the role I'm in now where, you know, I've, I'm, I'm able to, I have the freedom to kind of explore what's going on in the world that affects people in Michigan and maybe not directly. And, and when I find a really interesting, weird story that, that does very well and people are uh, in, enjoying it, I, I get super excited about that too. So it's it, being able to be a, a Swiss, Swiss army knife and, and just being able to find something I, I uh, can get excited about in any different field is, it's, one of the great things about my job is I take joy out of all of it. Wow. Does, now, does your wife read your work? 
<laughs> uh, she literally was sitting next to me today and said, hey, did you hear this, 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 and this happened? And I said, oh, really? Let me see that. She turned over uh, a competing outlet. And I was like, what's the date on that? She, oh, June 6th. So then I pulled up the same story I wrote two days prior and showed her that. And I was like, what's the date on that? And she, I hate you and, and walked out of the room. <laughs> So if you, if I ever let my ego get too out of control, I just got to say, hey, honey, did you see that story I wrote today? Nope. Nope. Oh, no. Was it on TikTok? Nope. Don't care. Is, is, it, is it cool for the kids, man? I mean, you, you know, you got, you got kids and, and hey, dad, dad's a writer and, and, you know, I can, I can, you know, I mean, you write for MLive.com, but I mean, you know, the fact that they can pick up something and say, hey, you know, my, my dad wrote that today. Yeah, they, they didn't understand. Um, and I think my youngest still doesn't fully understand. Um, but my oldest is now into like, you know, she'll watch YouTube videos and occasionally I, I show up on something and she gets excited. And, and, you know, if, if one of her classmates, parents share something on Facebook, um, you know, we'll say, we'll say, Hey, you know, look, look what Abby's mom shared on Facebook and, and they'll get a little kick out of that and stuff. So, um, I, I think, you know, watching my kids react to seeing me on YouTube was like, man, they really think that's impressive. I gotta, I gotta walk through the background of some more stuff. <laughs> I gotta walk through the background. <laughs> Just instilling that family pride, man. Yeah. You're right. Right. That's <laughs> you're living the life. You're, you're living it. Like, if it wasn't journalism, what else would it be? Hmm. You know, I took radio classes. Um, I One of my first jobs in the industry was I was a board op for a radio program here in Ann Arbor called Veterans Radio. And every Saturday, we, we uh, broadcasted a brand new one-hour um, format, just like the, the original podcast. It was, you know, broadcast over the airwaves on a radio, pro, you know, on a radio signal. Um, and I, I love that. I love producing content that went out. I, I think it's just producing content that goes out to the mass and, and people consume is, is just ha draws me in. It's some, I like that feeling. It's like having your finger on the pulse of life at all times, because it's like, you always kind of know what's going on. That's a great way of putting it true. It, it's, I, I just like being able to know a little about, a little bit about everything that's going on around me. So I'm not completely caught off guard by something. Now, this, go, ahead. go ahead, Drew. Sorry. Go ahead, man. Well, I was going to say, with you, you studied history briefly, too. So you have like a, a fascination or, a or a, an interest in history because that, too, along with understanding current trends, the two mixed together, pretty solid for understanding what is either to come or what has happened, you know, like just following trends. Well, well, or like why what ha is happening now is so important because of what happened in the past. Like, yeah. you know, it's, um, again, journalists are the, yeah, journalists are the first authors of history. So like, just, you got to know where, you, you know, where you've been before you know where you're going. So it's, I just, I've, I've always kind of liked that idea of, of knowing why, or at least trying to find an understanding of why things happen the way they happen and what led us up to this point to why they're happening now and it's funny too because if you trace it back the way we talk about each other as 
Yeah. And I say this from a neutral ground. Like when you hear people speak about each other politically, they were saying the exact same things about each other 150 years ago. We've not changed. And who else was I talking to my brother the other day about like if you look at a picture from like the 1800s, early 1900s, and talk about being tougher and more badass than us. They're like, no, that guy's not doing anything. Like, no, that guy, they're all bullshit artists. They're just like us. They're no better, no tougher. It just, they, they act that way because they're older. But like, we're all the same, man. Like, it's just, we haven't changed. And I like that you say that, like, you know, the reporters, you really were the first, you guys were the first ones. And I've never thought of it that way. It, it, it's almost like the, I, I, <laughs> it's almost like the original gospel in a lot of ways because you guys had to, you know, observe and report right off the bat. Hmm. Yeah. Think. yeah. Well, and there's something, there's something very profound that I, I just, why I wrote it down here because I think light bulb went off. You know, it's, it's interesting that Matt was wanting to study history and now he's writing history. And then, and it's, it, no, I mean, you're like, yeah, but I mean, there's, there's one, there's, it's, it's, it's a big difference, man, to hold the book and just be reading it and being like, whoa, that's crazy. It's another thing to say, yeah, I was there. I, I wrote, wrote it. it. Yeah. I wrote that article. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's, that's me. that was my work. Damn. You, you guys asked me about my kids. I, I there's a, uh, I get like this, this weird, like proudness when we drive around like downtown Ann Arbor and I'm like, you see that building? I wrote about that building and I wrote about that one. And I know the guy that owns that building and the guy who owns this building wouldn't talk to our newspaper until I got him to talk to our newspaper and blah, blah, blah. Like I have all these little tidbits that my kids are like, well, that's great. And then, you know, when they're teenagers, they're going to like, shut up, dad, we don't care. We do not. But hopefully someone else is like, oh, that's really interesting. Is there anything you contribute to that skill of being able to relate to anybody? Like you, can, like you can talk to somebody who's at the state level. You can talk to somebody who's at the community level. You can talk to a tradesman. You can talk to a cop. You can talk to a lawyer. Is there anything that you contribute in your life that said, you know, this helped me be able to have this skill? Uh, just remembering that we're all people. We're all, we all have families and we all have you know, goals and ambitions and desires and, and annoyances and things we don't like. And, and, and just approaching people from that aspect of like, hey, I, I just, I wanna ask you a question. You're, you're tied to something that I'm interested in and, and I just have a few questions for you. Um, that's kind of it. It's just, you know, we're people. That's the way it took me a little bit to get used to that with like celebrities and, and athletes. Um, but, you know, once oh. you talk to one, you're kind of like, eh, you know, they're just a guy. They just happen to, to answer questions about something that 10 million people watch it, you know, on, on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, well, you know, they, they still have to answer the question about, hey, Matt, why'd you throw three interceptions again this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, is yeah, there, it's weird to think that your livelihood, you don't have to have a press conference after, you know, your performance of your work, like to explain why you either did so bad or so good at your job. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a, I've never thought of it that way. I'd be like, could you imagine being like an NFL quarterback? And it's like, all right, if you do really good, then the end of week report's going to be good. But if you don't, and if you're Matthew Stafford, you're, you're out of here. Yeah. Hmm. It's, um, 
it, it took me a long time to get comfortable in uh, in a um, a media room after getting uh, the death stare from a coach. Like the first time I asked a question, he did not like, and then like I'm stuck with him for the rest of the season at every press conference, and every time I ask for the mic, he doesn't look happy. Like it took me a, a long time to get over that fear, but. Again, you just realize he's a guy. I wrote, I asked a question he didn't like, wrote about how bad his quarterback was, and he didn't like it. Mm. And that's, hey, I, you know, when I finally realized, hey, I got to go up to him and say, hey, coach, you know, I, I didn't mean to disrespect you. You know, what can we do to make this better so that I can ask questions and you don't stonewall me? And, and you know, he was super, you know, uh, uh, opinionated about what he thought about the question I asked and how I had covered his team so far. But, you know, he, he let his wall down eventually and, and actually would, you know, start to let me come to more and more events and come to their practices and things. So. <laughs> All right. Let the guy in. Hey, you can tell that. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good, uh, it's a good lesson in addressing the thing that's making you uncomfortable. Because a lot of the times we just tend to avoid that, that, and we just sit in that uncomfortability so long that it could almost make you meek, timid, and forget who you are as a person. So the fact that you went up and faced him and was like, hey, coach, we got to get through this. I've got a job to do. That's, that's why we just did this episode. That, 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 that attitude is why we do this episode. Now, you know, that, and that's, that's huge because, it, it, you know, and I had a, a, you know, a question here, you know, Matt, with you being a journalist and everything that has transpired in the past year and a half, a historical event that will never be forgotten, the, the worldwide COVID thing, um, you know, every state handled things differently. Everybody did their thing. Um, and I know that you're like, you know, I, I cover the story with how the story is and I write it the way. It, it's both, you know, it, it, it presents itself to me. Was there a different energy, I guess, to that obligation of, of telling the story of such a historical event? In, in, I mean, <laughs> ever? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was, so the, my day to day now, I'm not, I, I don't do, I wouldn't have been doing stuff like that, but there was so much information and so much stuff happening that our statewide team, um, which is full of incredible journalists, um, they, they, they needed an extra hand. And, and I, you know, I showed an interest in, yeah, let me, let me help out as I can. Um, and they pulled me onto the team. And then I was, I was doing like our daily roundups of, you know, COVID cases. And these are the big stories that were happening today. I was interviewing senators and representatives and, um, you know, telling, telling stories about, Hey, this is what's going on right now. This is, um, you know, this is what governor Whitmer said at her three o'clock press conference. And Hey, um, we're allowed to, to go out this weekend. You can gather in the public. You got to wear a mask, but Hey, this is, this is big news. Um, and it was every night, you know, I'd start my day at 11. Um, every night I, I would be done at seven, but I was up for another four hours looking for the next thing that, Hey, this happened. We need to get this to readers tomorrow so that they know, um, you know, Hey, th this is something else you need to know. Uh, because we were all so busy, maybe something sl slipped through the cracks or, um, Hey, we just don't have another person right now to, to get this, but, um, this is something we need to get to people too. And it was, there were times when, you know, I'd sit back and go, man, this, this was a long, long day, but 
people needed to know, you know, hey, the, the hospital, the hospitalization rates are up, the deaths are up, it's spreading to other counties. This is how fast it's grown in your county in the last few months or the fat, last few days. This is what it's shown over the last month. Like it's, it just, it felt super essential. Like we had to do it. And, you know, thankfully, like I said, I work with so many great journalists. We were able to, to really keep our state on top of, of all the news that was breaking. It seemed like every hour. But, and is this an, a topic that has caused you any problems by covering, by even just a little, by covering the spread, how it's spreading, how fast hospitals, but like, have people come at you like, come on, man, this is garbage, this is BS? Um, yeah, I mean, they were, you would get emails, but it, it wasn't ever super um, aggressive or, or threatening or anything like that. It, you know, people were, people were on edge and, and for good reason. And that, that was part of my attitude was I understand why people were upset that not enough stuff was closed. And I understand why enough people were like, hey, we don't need to close everything down. You know, my wife and I own a small business. It hurt our small business tremendously. I absolutely can, can uh, sympathize with, with the people who are like, Hey, if, if we stay closed, I'm going to, I'm going to lose everything. And, but I, I also had uh, a, a mother-in-law who was right at that age where like, if she gets it, she's in the danger zone. So it was like, I totally agree with, Hey, let's shut everything down and stay inside too. Like, so this is the way I approach it. If someone was mad, like, or, or, you know, thought we weren't representing both sides of an argument or, or whatever, you know, I would say, Hey, look, I, I completely understand where you're coming from on this. Unfortunately, this is what the governor and the director of, of health for the state said. And that's what I'm reporting off of. And we reached out to the, the, uh, house speaker, the speaker of the house, who's a Republican. And he gave his comments and we put those in there. And, and that's, that's the story. I, I'm sorry. I can't give you, give you more than that, but that's, these are the people in charge and that's what they said. So that's what we have to report. Was there a certain level of stress of being on that front line? I mean, when, when COVID first break, you know, broke and then, and then we didn't really know what it was all about. And here's the reporters that are, you know, throwing the mask on it and getting down in it and being around all this stuff, trying to cover things. What was the stress of that like for you? So um, again, we were very fortunate. We weren't put in those positions very often. Um, the, the Capitol protest that we, we mentioned earlier, was the only time I went to an event live for the first six months or so of the, the pandemic um, because we were very careful about like what we're sending people to what the, you know, if there's large crowds, let's, you know, we can cover it from afar. Um, but it, it was still very stressful to, to go to that. And then when there were, you know, Hey, we might need to go cover this. It get that feeling in your head again of like, well, this is, I got to prepare for this. I got to, Make sure I've got all my my gear uh, that I'm gonna wear around people, so I can you know off to the side and I'll bring a trash bag so I can throw it all in there and tie it up and make sure I don't bring any of that crap into the house. Um, so I, that happened you know at the at the Capitol and you know when we, we thought hey we might have to go to more stuff there's that anxiety but it was never I never felt unsafe at, at any anything I went to after you know we kind of got a few months into the pandemic. And now we're moving forward here. You know, I mean, things are starting to come out the other end of it. We're all getting our vaccines. We're all doing our stuff. Can you give us some insight what the press room with your team was like 
COVID breaks to what it is now, is there a different energy now that life is starting to get back to normal and, 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 you know, things are starting to open up more and we can start being more integrated in the sports world and stuff. And it's, you know, things are kind of catching on again, or is, is there, was, was there a difference there? Was there ever a time where you're looking at your teammates being like, Whoa, well, wow. so, um, I mean, very simply, we, we haven't been in the office. We've been all worked from home for, I, I don't even know how long, 18, well, it wouldn't be 18, 15 months, something like that, you know? Yeah. So no, but, but I do know a lot of us are, are excited that we're able to get back out and tell stories, um, and attend actual events and get the actual feel of where we're at, as opposed to watching it on a zoom meeting and, you can't tell the tension in the room or you can't tell the, the, the joyous nature of, of the conversation you can try to, but it's not the same as experiencing it live and, and the energy that you get from being on the scene. I've done stand-up comedy on zoom. You're not wrong. It's a nightmare trying to, oh, yeah. trying to capture an emotion from somebody and, 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 and just like connecting. You're like, Hey, Hey, you, Hey, you fucker, you, you, <laughs> That was funny. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we, the wife and I, one of our favorite comedians did a, did one of those um, from his, his living room and we watched him. We, it was hilarious to us, but like, we couldn't help but wonder like, he doesn't know if his stuff's landing. He Who? doesn't know if he, I'm sorry. Who? Uh, Chris Porter. Chris Porter last September or last August. Yeah. That would have been about it. Yeah. I was one of the live members, August 18th. I was at that show. Oh, nice. The, the on the, you talking about the one on the side of the I'm road Zoom. there? Okay. Okay. He did it in his apartment. He had like the, the yep. uh, ring light and all that. He, yeah. He did dude, the, there was the guy from Virgin yeah. members. I was one of them. Ah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I man. thought he was just doing it in his, his apartment. Like, you know, it was, it. No, no, he was, we were live on zoom so he could hear us laughing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see yeah, what dude. you're saying. Yeah. 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 I was like, I, it was Chris. Por- I could feel it right when I was like, you yeah. were at that Chris Porter show. Yeah, man. yeah. We had we had seen him in person down here in Toledo like six weeks before the the pandemic happened. Like mm-hmm. if it if it would have been another month or so, we probably wouldn't have gone. So, dude, he's the, there, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. The hands he's fantastic. Down. He's so funny. <laughs> see, that, thanks, see, Sean. Here. You found yeah. me another Chris Porter fan. This was totally dude. weird. I told I I told Poor you, head, you we're gonna hit it off, man. I got a journalist and I got a NASA guy. You know what I mean? I just knew it was gonna be some kind of Star Trek stuff happening. I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I, uh, you know, with you know, I, I'm not trying to just dwell on the COVID thing. Um, with all that, like you said, you travel a lot and stuff like that. Um, what was it like to actually be able to, you know, you guys? You said you had like six months of pretty much being at home, being able to work from home, and you're working from home now, but um how important was that for for the family for to have dad home a lot and and be able to hang out with the family and you know you can kind of talk to your kids about the day and stuff like that um i wouldn't describe it as fun uh, <laughs> because they were they were in school right i mean they were in class so like uh i'm outside one day talking to senator uh gary peters <laughs> Like I'm in a conference call with the Senator of the United States and my seven-year-old comes running up to, t- to ask me about her assignment. And I'm like, I can't, I, I just can't. I literally 
there's no possible way I can help you, young lady. I'm so sorry. And like, that happens so often where like, I'm in the middle of something really important and the kids need help and you want to be a great dad. And, you know, my wife is, is doing the best she can, but she can't be teacher all day, every day. So, um, again, I, I can't say enough good things about the company I worked for. And, and they were, you know, they worked with me as best they could to get me on a schedule where like, all right, the first half of the day, dad gets to be the teacher, but at 11 o'clock, he's got to go to work. And we, we made it, we made that happen. Um, but uh, I'm fortunate in that the role I've been in for the past few years, I'm, uh, I'm able to work from home um, any day I want, mm. unless I have to go out and cover a story. Gotcha. So if, if I've got a day where it's just me, um, you know, I know I'm going to be filling in because I cover like our, the lottery for this, for the state. And if I know like, oh, there's a major Powerball drawing tonight, you know, a billion dollars, that's going to be a lot of my day. I'm staying home. I, you know, I don't have to go anywhere. Uh, so I was already comfortable work from home uh, mindset, but having the kids home made it a, a little more difficult in such a, a stressful situation to begin with, especially because I couldn't go out and gather the information. It was literally, you have to sit here and listen to the press conference or listen to the phone call. And if, if I'm trying to listen to the, the governor talk and my kid's like, I want a PB and J like, and it's chaos in the background and you're just a you're like dude i'm so sorry like i i live that life dude i'm with you i've got two kids in school on online school I, i'm with did, you did you did anyone ever like not say like no it's cool i totally understand what no they're like we just i get like my kindergartner gets 18 assignments a day a day and then they're just like okay after this meeting make sure you log in to start your assignments i'm like you bitch you try to tell me how to dictate my day i'm gonna put my fist through this computer <laughs> and, I, uh, and, and i'm gonna choke your dog you know what i mean like i, I i'm sorry for your dog but like no like, <laughs> we gotta get i've got other my dog's gotta get out and take a shit i've got things to do I've got, you I know, I will absolutely, my kid's going to get this lesson. She will absolutely get this lesson, but it's not going to be immediately right. That like, no, <laughs> right. No, right. No. Yep. You know, I, I don't, uh, I obviously don't have kids. Um, but, uh, I remember a long time ago when I was still in the army, I was at the uh, warrior transition unit and, uh, somebody I knew was at the white house for that, uh, you know, for a concert. And uh, Dan Tominski, Union Station, Allison Krauss, they were all there, you know. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm, my, you know, I, I was on CQ duty, which is I'm sitting at a desk at the barracks trying to make sure people aren't being crazy. And um, these guys just came in from Afghanistan and uh, they were running around crazy. It was absolute madness. It was just they were home, you know. Go time. Just, go time you know wearing their underwear on their head running up and down the hallways and my phone keeps going off and my phone keeps going off and i'm like Who? you know i can't answer the phone so i finally you know this guy keeps calling me i just i open the phone what do you want you know and it was my birthday and uh it was you know dan Tominski calling me and you know hey this is dan Tominski. wanted to wish you a happy birthday and i was like yeah 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 okay whatever eric dude i got guys with you know with underwear on their head right now what do you need and it was just dead silent. I, you know, I was dead silent. There was little yeah. guys with underwear on their head running up and down the hallway and military police everywhere. And I'm just like, 
uh-oh, that doesn't sound like Eric. It sounds like <laughs> someone else. And it's like, this is Dan Tominski. Happy birthday. And I was like, oh, no. Like, immediate, like, yeah. never in my life did I ever think I was going to talk to that dude. Yeah. Number two, under those circumstances, I never thought I'd talk to that dude. And uh, just made a very awkward, you know, like, I couldn't, I could only imagine him just hanging up the phone being like, I don't know what my tax dollars go to. (laughs) It was madness. It was absolute madness. You know. Yeah. What do you want, dickhead? Really? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) That was specialist Sean Rooker. Two O's. Yes. (laughs) Yep. It was, you know, that's, but that's all I can relate to about having children is you have all that high energy. And it's flying all around you, and you're trying to do something important, and you got so much going on that you're like, uh, and then it finally hits you, and you're like, oh man, there's literally a hurricane going on behind me. And this, you're trying to, you're hopeful that this person on the other end is understanding of being like, yeah, yeah. That's what I was asking. My boss, if he didn't shut up, I'd make him, yeah, I'll make you a PB and J, and then I'll, then you're going to take a nap if you're not (laughs) talking to the wrong person. Yeah, that's that's. Perfect. I wish I could get away with that. Yeah, that is a perfect that is a perfect flip flop there, man. Your boss starts yelling at you. Look, I'll make you PB and J. We'll put something on the Netflix thing. What do you want? Door of the Explorer, whatever. And then we'll, we'll you can get a nap. You can get a nap. You know. Yeah, dude. It's it's this has just been it's been crazy, man. This this whole how we've had to get through the past year and a half of everyone's home all the energy of everyone being home trying to navigate all all of that being like hey i need five ten minutes just leave me alone <laughs> you know dad, i gotta go watch go a stone cold steve austin match leave me alone <laughs> yeah. you know dad, dad's got a blanket over his head with his phone trying to watch <laughs> trying to watch a wrestling match <laughs> yeah dude oh that's awesome this is gaining inspiration <laughs> for when you get too lippy yeah. <laughs> so, Rook, uh, let me show you what a full Nelson is. Yeah. The impossible question, then. Well, yeah, you know, going forward, Matt, <clears throat> you know, I did have a question for you before we get into that last thing. What, where do you see yourself in the future of journalism? Like, if you could look forward, you know, like you said with the yearbook thing, you know, 10 years from now, where do you expect, where do you expect, uh, <laughs> what's Matt? Yeah, what's next for Matt Durr? There you you go. guys are on the same uh, same wavelength there. I like it. Yeah. I don't think that far ahead. Um, you know, one of the things you learn about this from being in this industry is you don't know what's going to happen in two or three years. You don't know how things are going to shift. And, you know, journalism in general is a very volatile field right now you know newspapers are closing all over the country or have closed at record rates uh you know media companies are are you know combining or buying each other out and and there's fewer and fewer jobs out there um so i I try not to think that much about it um because if if you know if this went away tomorrow i have a couple ideas in my head about what else i i could do and Oddly enough, they would probably involve some sort of writing. So um, I shouldn't say oddly enough, like, you know, to no one's surprise, they would involve writing. Um, so no, I don't, 
I don't think about that. Like, I do know, you know, if, if I'm still in journalism and my kids are old enough, you know, they're in high school age, I might try to get, get back and, and knock out that dream of, of covering a baseball team, uh, you know, being a, a beat reporter for, uh, you know, some, someone in major league baseball, probably the Tigers because I don't plan on leaving Michigan, but um, you know, one of the, the drawbacks of being a sports reporter is it doesn't leave a lot of time for um, family because Hey, there's road games and the team's good. You're going to be at every game covering it, getting all the stories. So you're on the road for four or five, six months a year. And when you're at home, you know, Tigers game usually starts at seven Oh five. Doesn't get over till 11. It's midnight before you're even done talking to the players and you can go home to start working on your story. It doesn't leave a lot of time to be dad at six o'clock in the morning. So, mm. you know, that's, that's the one thing I think is still kind of on my radar journalism wise, like let's see how these kids turn out. And if they get, um, you know, functional in their high school years to where, you know, I can be gone uh, a larger portion of the time if necessary. I have to do the same thing with stand up. I'm, I'm on that set. That's where I'm, I'm like literally the same. Like I can only work here. I can go here and here at this point, but until they're stabilized and they're like, I can't tour. I can't, I like, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm like kind of grounded, which is yeah. whatever. It's not like I'm trapped or anything. This is like, I want to, I, I, this is my decision. It's not yep. it's like, I want to see that this is like, I, but it's, it's funny how parallel that is. Like I'm in the exact, and you're set. It's your oldest is seven. Uh, my oldest is 10. I have a 10 and seven year old. 10 and seven. I got an eight, six and four. So Oh, man. so right around that that age yeah and that's like hey, my my oldest was I mean she was a year old the first year I was on the college newspaper staff and I missed uh uh her first Halloween because I had to go to a journalism conference and I wrote a column about how I felt like a terrible father for missing that so I could go do you know my dream and, and the further I got into it I just realized I was like ah I can put that off. I don't want to, I don't want to miss being home for things. And I don't want to put that pressure on my wife. Cause she, like I said, she has her own business and yeah. like, you know, I need to be home. Baseball is always going to be there. You that's know, these, these next 18 years won't. So that's where, when we talk about the Machiavellian nature of doing whatever you can to just make it like being self based on the selfishness, like, that's where I lack because I'm like, and it seems like you're the same way where it's like, I could totally go do that if I wanted to, but it would screw this person over. So I can't do it. Like, I, I just know too many people that'd be like, yeah, I got this opportunity. Y'all I'm out, have fun with the kids. Like, yeah. and again, it's, it's also that same type of person that when, when your teacher came in and said, learn how to report, they'd have buried their head in the sands too. So like, it's kind of, I, I really enjoy where, uh, talking to you because man it just it, it kind of validates my own journey in a lot of ways <laughs> well yeah and, and it's it's i mean you, you mentioned it earlier it's it's about what what makes you happy right mm-hmm. and you know i found a balance of like my prof- my professional career makes me really really happy and part of that is because i'm able to enjoy my family life and you know i'm providing for my family in a way that you know I, I didn't know if I ever, you know, really would be able to. And, and that's, that's awesome to me. See, and, you know, I, you know, Matt, as we start closing this down, you know, I have pretty much two final thoughts that kind of came with, you know, this episode on my end. 
and it's you know the the character of, of of Matt Durr, you know, the guy who finds happiness in an in, in a huge obligation um, to be the world's Rosetta Stone, to literally take a story and be able to put it into writing and using you know your skills and you know being strong in in your uh, command of the English language to put that out for so that people from all over can read that story and you know find the facts and you're honest about it and you know there's something to be said for a guy who's literally willing to stand in the storm and just say no this is this is how it is and 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 you find happiness being that that true north in a way um there's also something that i picked up you know for all those who are are waiting to do something that they that they feel like they're called to do or that they love i think that you're the perfect exclamation point of uh you know there's no better time than right now there's no better time than the present and uh, in life, you can either read history or you can write it. And I think that with, you know, everyone in their lives trying to do things they want to accomplish, um, you know, and, and maybe coming up with excuses for that, uh, that, that is a huge just here's your sign moment, which is, you know, you can either live your life reading all the history around you or you can write it. You can get out there and write it. Um, you know, those are the two things I pulled from this episode, you know, with you uh, being honest with us. And, um, you know, I really appreciate your time. It, it was a privilege. Um, with that Bruce, being said. Two things because you, you piece of shit. We said so many things. <laughs> you <Yeah. motherfucker. laughs> hey, dude. I got the ball game on in the background. You know what I mean? I, I was only here for a third of this episode, man. No, uh. Fired. Matt, you, you, you lost your pay. <laughs> there you go. He's gone again. Get him out of here. Get him out of he here. He always catches me. He always catches me watching the ball game, man. That's I get fired <laughs> for that like at least three times a week. But you know, as for our ending question, <clears throat> um, we're redefining the warrior. That you know, a warrior does not have to be on a battlefield to have the warrior spirit. And for somebody who is a writer of history and who has seen the world firsthand, um, in your opinion, what makes somebody a warrior? Wow. Um, I'm gonna address something you, you, you uh, mentioned uh, a second ago. Well, I come up with, with kind of my answer to that, if that's okay. Um, and maybe, maybe it'll tie in here. Um, you use the phrase braving the storm. Um, and, and I, I don't, I don't see it like that. And, and, uh, I see it as we're just, we're there telling the people around us, uh, you know, important information, sharing important information. And it's stuff that we, that I think we have to know as a society that, you know, it may not be me reporting it directly, but I, the mission of journalism and, and what, you know, journalists do, especially on your local levels, uh, in, in, at TV and, and newspapers in, in small towns all over the country. Um, you know, they believe in getting information to you and they believe in getting information to the people because they care about the communities around them and they want, you know, we have a natural instinct to, to want to learn a little bit of everything as a journalist. 
We want people who have the desire to, to know a little bit about what's going on around them. Well, here's where you come to get those thoughts. And this is where you come to get that information. This is where you come to learn about what's going on around you. So I, I don't look at it as, as braving any sort of storm. It's, it's more of um, guiding through the storm and just finding a way to to come out on the other side with, hey, this is this is what you need to know about what just happened back there. Uh, to, to your question about what redefines or the redefinition of a warrior, I think it, it's someone who's who, and it's kind of an old school idea. Uh, it's someone who understands um, there are ways to solve a problem, there are ways to address an issue, there are ways to address your life around you, and you can be strong about it, but you can also be intelligent. You can also be sympathetic. You can be empathetic. You're able to understand. Uh, the people around you, what they need to be warriors themselves. And, and in my case, it's information. You know, you're, you're trying to pull people up, right? You want people to be better. And in, in our world, finding that information and, and making sure people are able to understand what's going on around them is, is how I feel like we pull people up.